When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello there and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian and you're listening to episode 177 of the Sustainable Minimalist podcast. If you have been following the zero waste movement for a while, you have likely heard the uber popular quote, and I quote, we don't need a handful of people doing zero waste perfectly. We need millions of people doing it imperfectly. The woman behind that quote is none other than Anne-Marie Bonneau, better known as the zero waste chef. And I am thrilled to speak with her today about her new book, also titled The Zero Way Chef, as well as her thoughts on the future of cooking. Is cooking an art that we are in the process of losing? Or is the act of preparing meals so fundamental to our existence as a self-sufficient skill that it's here to stay? Anne-Marie, of course, also offers up some of her best zero-waste recipes from her new cookbook, and I so hope you enjoy my conversation with the zero-waste chef herself, Anne-Marie Bonneau. Anne-Marie, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Well, I am so, so happy to have you as a true fan. I am so excited for your new book, Zero Waste Chef, and I'm so excited to officially introduce you to my listeners. Let's start off with... Zero waste. How on earth did you find yourself not only interested in the zero waste lifestyle, but so interested that you were ready to start a blog about it? So back in 2011, I started reading about plastic pollution, and that started the whole thing off. I knew plastic was bad, but I recycled, so I thought, well, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Um... But then I read about the gyres, about the plastic swirling around in the oceans and how it devastates wildlife. You know, albatrosses, they're feeding plastic to their chicks and birds, their stomachs are filled with it and dolphins get tangled in nets. And I mean, just on and on. And I had no idea. And so that was, you know, I read about that and I thought, I I just don't want a part of this. I mean, I'm, I'm going to play a role because I'm alive. You know, the, I may not bring plastic into my home, but the food I buy, there's waste that I don't see all along the supply chain. But I wanted to reduce my impact as much as I could. And then it just snowballed from there. Um, shortly after 
we went plastic free, I started reading about food waste. And I learned that in the US, we about 40% of the food we produce goes uneaten. And so that that was an astonishing number to me. And then, you know, it just evolved from there. And it was actually my daughter who started a blog first. She was only 16. Um, we're big foodies. And she started the Plastic Free Chef. And then she went away to school, to university in Canada. And she had trouble keeping it up. So I asked her, can I take over your blog? Because I loved her blog. It was great. And she said, no, start your own blog. So I said, well, okay, I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> and so I did. So I have to ask, is there any sort of tension or competition between you and your daughter and your blogs, your competing blogs? Well, she she stopped writing hers altogether. Well, I have mentioned on this show many times that I have issues with the term zero waste, but your blog is Zero Waste Chef, your upcoming book is Zero Waste Chef. And so I'm wondering, in your opinion, is zero waste in 2021 even possible? So I think a few people are going to go all out and reach zero waste and produce very little trash. But most people aren't. If we had everybody reducing, let's say even 10%, even 10% would make a huge impact. 20% would be fantastic. So it's more important to have everybody reducing a bit than everybody. Unfortunately, the 20% less waste movement just doesn't have the ring to it that the zero waste movement has. But people really do get hung up on that zero. And so, you know, call it something else. Call it the low waste movement or, or say you're living a low impact lifestyle or don't call it anything and just try to cut your waste. You bring up a good point there where the term inherently has a hook, right? Zero waste. Ooh. But the term is not the point. The term is just being more conscious in the amount of waste you produce and and educating yourself to lowering it. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the zero, I write in my book, the zero is a goal. You know, it's something to strive for. One thing also that you wrote in your book that really resonated with me is that you touched on the importance of self-sufficiency, especially when you mentioned our grandparents and the fact that your grandparents and my grandparents and almost all the listeners listening right now's grandparents were really efficient in the kitchen. They didn't waste anything if they could help it. And yet here we are in 2021 and we are collectively, as a collective, incredibly wasteful. And so... I'm also thinking back to my grandparents, my grandmother specifically. She was also a really great cook. She was just, she had a little bit extra of this and could whip it up into this. She had that knowledge. I wonder if we're losing that knowledge in 2021, if cooking is in the process of becoming 
one of those long lost skills. And I'm thinking, you know, the the food delivery boxes, the ease of ordering out. I could go on and on. But the question here is, does zero waste or low waste or plastic free living in the kitchen, whatever we want to call it, does that mean then that you have to like cooking? I used to live at an intentional community and one of the women who lived there, she she had lived in a monastery and she said there was a man who lived there and he he was always cooking and she said to him one day, "Well, you you cook a lot. You must really enjoy cooking." And he said, "I enjoy eating." I think if you if you eat, you kind of have to learn how to cook. Really, though, in 2021, you think that way? Well, I I do. I mean, unless you, I mean, I, I guess you you can get by not doing that. You could order in every meal, but I think COVID has shown us that you know we we need more resiliency. And we need to pass those skills on to our kids. I mean, you don't have to cook. You don't have to be chained to your stove cooking all day long. But I think these skills are really important. And while you were talking, it's funny because when I first started my blog and I was trying to think of a name, one of the names I thought about was lost knowledge. Because we've forgotten how to do a lot of these basic things. Yeah, we really have. And corporations and companies are constantly innovating the next best thing that's going to make our lives easier. And the products may or may not actually make our lives easier and offer convenience. But what they definitely are doing is they, in my opinion, are taking us away from those self-sufficient skills, like the canning, for one, like the cooking, uh, like the growing a vegetable, all these things that are the epitome of self-sufficient. And I actually don't want to talk to you about self-sufficiency today, even though that's a real big passion of mine. What I want to talk to you about is zero-waste cooking. And I should say, as a bit of a disclaimer, that I am not by nature a good cook. But I have really dedicated myself to improving over the last 10-ish years. And so I do see myself getting better at it. I've put in that time and I've put in that effort. But that said, I'm only now, after 10-ish years of practicing, getting better at veering off a recipe. So in your book, you talk about freestyle cooking, and that's where I really want to start our chat today. Do you have any words of encouragement for listeners who perhaps don't like to cook, don't think they're good at cooking, and know they need to freestyle cook to waste less food. Do, what do you say to those people? Well, sure. If they learn to make a couple of basic recipes that they can change around a lot, you know, they can do that. That will reduce a ton of waste. So things like soup or pot pies, you know, pastry is a great way to reduce waste because you can stuff with, with all kinds of things and it's delicious. So if they learn to make a couple of things following the recipe when they when they just start out, when you just start out, follow the recipe. But then after a while, they'll get confident and they'll realize, oh, 
you know, I can substitute this vegetable for that one in this dish. And another thing is taste as you go. So that's really important to make sure it tastes okay. And then you'll learn, well, you know, this could use a bit more acid or it could use a bit more of this herb or something spicy. So if you're not much of a cook, if you don't, if you haven't cooked a lot, don't start out just throwing a bunch of things in a pan and thinking that's going to turn out. You have to learn a couple of recipes first. And then you'll get confident. And also, don't do that with baking. Because baking is chemistry. So, so don't, don't do freestyle baking so much. <laughs> I love the tip to taste as you go. I wish I learned that 10 years ago. That would have saved me a lot of disappointment as I tasted <laughs> my concoctions. So, yeah, I think what you're saying there is that freestyle cooking is about perhaps building a building a house. You have to have that foundation first. You have to understand some basic techniques. You have to understand, for instance, that salt amplifies if it's in the right quantity, stuff like that. You have to really feel that in your bones before you could maybe maybe build the roof. You got to build the foundation before you build the roof. Something I know nothing about <laughs> is something you know a lot about, which is fermentation. And I need to talk to you about fermentation because I think some fermentation happens in sourdough bread, which is what everybody made at the beginning days of social isolation. So what on earth is fermentation? How does it apply to zero waste cooking? And there's a third question here. What's the trick to making that perfect loaf of sourdough? <laughs> oh, well, there are a few tricks for the sourdough. But fermentation, well, technically it's controlled rot, which does not sound very appetizing. No, it doesn't. No. <laughs> but um, it's, uh, and this doesn't sound appetizing either, but it's, it's it, it pre-digests the food. And so it makes it, more easily digestible. It's it's also very nutritious, but um, so live cultures transform food into something delicious. So you could have a head of cabbage and a couple of carrots and salt, and that that doesn't sound that exciting. But if you chop that up, you salt it, you pack it into jars, then the bacteria and yeast that are on the cabbage and carrots they start to eat the carbohydrates in the vegetables and they release acids and gases and this amazing tangy flavor. And it's so good for you. It's so good for your gut. And the food, the reason it's zero waste is not because, not only because you'll eat it all because it tastes delicious, but it preserves the food. So after your sauerkraut is ready, you can store it in the refrigerator or if you have a cold cellar, which maybe one day I'll have. You can store it for, um, you know, at least a year. Last week I did a demo uh, for to kick off Earth Month and I made sauerkraut and I found um, a big watermelon radish in the refrigerator that nobody had eaten. And it was, you know, it was perfectly edible. It, it hadn't gone bad, but 
I was worried nobody was going to eat it, so I just shredded it up and I put it in my sauerkraut. And so now that's bubbling away on my counter. It's I let it sit out there for about, oh, six weeks. And that radish that could have ended up as waste, which would, well, mine would go to compost if I wasted it, but <laughs> a lot of food waste goes to landfill and then it's compacted. The bacteria that break it down, they release methane gas, which is much more potent than carbon dioxide. So my radish, instead of that fate, its fate was to become sauerkraut, which is delicious. And you can make things yourself. So I make kombucha and ginger beer. The ginger beer is so good. But anyway, so that's how it fits in. And sourdough is another type of uh, fermented food. So what's the trick? Oh, well, the trick is to get your starter going. I think get a healthy starter going. Well, there are a couple of tricks. Okay, so get a healthy starter going. A lot of people give up right at the beginning because when you first start out, the starter does not smell good when, when you're coaxing it to life. And a lot of people think, oh, this smells terrible and they throw it out. But that's actually a sign that, that things are going well. So you have to be patient. Wait until it kind of smells, it's kind of smelly and you see lots of bubbles and then you start to feed it. I think the mistake people make a lot is they feed it too early. So it will have some bacteria and yeast in it and they feed it too early and they take out all that bacteria and yeast. And then nothing happens, they don't see any bubbling. So be patient and wait. Oh, wait, wait, one more trick. An overnight cold proof. When I proof my formed loaves in the refrigerator overnight, they turn out way better. I get a, they rise up a lot more. And so for listeners who have no idea what an overnight cold proof is, what, what is that? Break it oh, down. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, so you make the starter and then you use that to make the dough. And after you make, you work on the dough, you form these nice loaves. And then you have to proof them that you let them sit on the counter and they rise up. So actually, instead of the counter, I do it in the refrigerator and I do it overnight. The Sustainable Minimalist podcast is supported by Outrage and Optimism. The world has been experiencing a convergence of crises. None of us has been immune to the challenges of this moment in history. Some argue that the greatest of them all is the climate crisis, and few of us know what to do about it. Isn't it all just too big for any one of us? Outrage and Optimism is a lively weekly podcast in which hosts Christiana Figueres, former UN climate chief, and her partners Tom Rivet Karnick and Paul Dickinson set out to help us navigate the complexities of tackling climate change. They talk to business leaders, politicians, scientists, and activists, and ask, what makes you feel outraged about climate change? What is there to be optimistic about? I'm an avid listener of the show, and I love how the host managed to be both realistic and positive at the same time. Don't wait. 
Subscribe to Outrage and Optimism on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts for new episodes every Thursday. Well, your new book, Zero Waste Chef, is all about practical recipes in which we can waste less food. So my personal favorite was you are making nut milk and you are reusing the nut pulp that we all have that we traditionally just throw in the trash into something else. Now, listeners, if you want that recipe, you're going to have to (laughs) go buy the book. But my question here is, what is your favorite recipe in the book? Oh, that's that's a hard one. (laughs) Um, Well, I do have a sweet tooth. So it, it it might be the sourdough sticky buns. Those are those are really good for baking. Follow the recipe. Yes, <laughs> follow the recipe for those. They're yeah, they're really good. I tested them a lot, and my poor daughter. After a while, she actually asked me to stop making them. She said, "Can you please stop making these sticky buns? Because <laughs> we had so many of them." And then for for uh, for dinner. I think the recipe I make most often is the potato cauliflower doll. You really can't go wrong with potatoes, cauliflower, and Indian spices. Agreed. I'm so on board with that. I, <laughs> that's a, you know that's a great point. I used to head to the local Indian restaurant for my Indian food, and I loved the food. I didn't so much love the plastic containers. Reaching out to the restaurant yielded no help with regard to me bringing my own containers. So that's a great example of pivoting, of teaching yourself something new. In my case, it has been Indian cooking. And that has been such a joy for me. I think when it comes to trying on something new, attempting a new skill perhaps, Making it enjoyable is what's going to make it stick. So I just asked you what your favorite recipe is, but then I guess my next question needs to be, what is your easiest recipe in the book? And I asked that specifically for the listeners who I know are listening who don't like to cook. So what is the easiest zero-waste recipe you offer? Well, there are a few in there that are super easy. I have a section called Staples and Scraps. And so some of those are very, very simple, like homemade buttermilk, cultured buttermilk. If you want to culture your own buttermilk, you, you buy, and you're not vegan, you buy whole milk and you pour in a little bit of cultured buttermilk. So you do have to buy a little carton of cultured buttermilk to get it going. But once you do that, you can make the buttermilk live for, I mean technically forever, but may, maybe, I don't know, a couple of years, a few years. And then you can use that to make sour cream or a creme fraiche. And you do the same thing. You pour a little bit of buttermilk into, for a creme fraiche, you would use um, whipping cream. You pour it in, you let it sit on the counter. The next day you have creme fraiche. So that, I mean, that takes three minutes to make. On the same vein, another recipe that you offered that I never have thought of in my whole life, which 
is vanilla extract. Could it be any easier than, I believe, a, a vanilla bean and some bourbon? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The trick to the vanilla and the creme fraiche I mentioned is, the, is waiting. So that's the step that we're not used to. But they're really easy to make, but you do have to plan ahead a little bit. But yeah, very simple. You're right. We're not we're not used to waiting as a society. But going back to I guess the vanilla extract, that leads me to some other super easy recipes that you offer in the book. You talk about yogurt, which who knew it was that easy? Nut butter. These items are all ridiculously easy to make, yet still 99% of us are accustomed and used to and happy to buy these items pre-made despite the savings, the cost savings. It's arguably much cheaper to make them at home. And despite that waste savings, those waste benefits. So I guess I'm just interested in a philosophical question, which is why do you think that so many of us still buy these items when we can so easily make them? Well, you do, you do have to plan ahead. And you know, I don't think anyone's going to buy my book and make every single thing in it and live exactly the way I do. And I, I never say anyone has to do that. You know, I'm, I try not to be preachy. I think another reason we don't make a lot of things for ourselves is I think we've been told we should spend our time more productively. I just did the air quotes. <laughs> you know, and that cooking is kind of a waste of time. And why, in your opinion, is cooking really darn important? Oh, well, gee, for a lot of reasons. You know what you're eating. It's a life skill, but I think everyone should at least know how to do a few things. You know, you save money. This is the healthiest I've ever been. I, I like to tell people results vary, but it really is. Since I since I cut the plastic, I I rarely get sick because I I start my diet just immediately improved. I started eating more fruits and vegetables. I started eating fermented food, and I think that that helped with my my health. But I think also my mental health. There's a connection between you know, your gut health and your mental health. And it's good to, to do it so that your, your kids learn how to do it so they can go off and be self-sufficient. <clears throat> My daughter, when she went away to university, her roommates were amazed because she knew how to make a stir fry, which is so basic. But yeah, lots of reasons. You are a big voice. I don't know if big is the right adjective, but you are a large voice in the zero waste community. What do you see your role as being and what do you hope to leave on the movement and what do you hope your legacy is in terms of zero waste ideals for the average <laughs> the average person listening? Wow. <laughs> I know it's serious. Yeah, we're getting, yeah. we're getting deep. Wow. 
Well, I think, or I hope, I hope I've presented a way to do it that isn't intimidating. And I hope people realize that the zero is just a goal and they don't have to be perfect and that it's not possible. And also I'd like people to realize it's fun. I, I'm not denying myself of anything. I, I eat better food. I'm happier. I'm healthier. I save money. So there are so many benefits. I think, I think that's important if we could get the message across that this will make you happy. <laughs> this will bring you joy. It brings me so much joy living like this. And I will just say that there is nothing about you at all that's intimidating. I never thought I would be somebody to make vanilla extract <laughs> or yogurt, yet here I am. Uh, so thank you so much for the wisdom that you impart on your platform every single day. Where can my listeners find your new book, Zero Waste Chef, and find more of you online? Well, they can find my book anywhere. Uh, if they buy it online, they can get it at Bookshop, which is an independent um, bookseller. And, and some of their some of the sales uh, will go to independent bookstores of their choice. Um, or IndieBound, or, you know, the big ones, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, independent bookstores, you know, like physical bookstores. And then I'm online at zerowastechef.com. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Those are all at Zero Waste Chef. I just joined Clubhouse, but I haven't done anything on there. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> so good for you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's too much. <laughs> Anne-Marie, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I wish you so much success with your book and I can look forward to continuing to follow you online. So thank you for everything. Oh, thank you, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me on here. I really appreciate it. I so hope you gleaned a bit of wisdom from the Zero Waste Chef Anne-Marie Bonneau. I have linked to her new book, which just released this week. I've linked to her blog. I've linked to her social media. Go follow her. She is amazing. On next week's show, we are discussing the principles of digital minimalism for ourselves and for our children. Stay tuned. I will see you then. Have a great week and take care.